Good morning. This is AB, and this is the Talk About God podcast. Oh, I am up earlier today, which feels so good. This is why people get up early. I swear it is. Um, but the willpower to do it is very, very hard to come by sometimes. So I thank you, Lord, for coffee. And this day, I have this weird excitement about it, which is very strange. Um, so I just thank you. I thank you for this day. Um, I thank you for your word. I'm not going to lie. I've gotten a little curious, um, like confused, I guess is probably the right word, um, about some of it, which obviously just means I need to dig deeper. But um, on, we'll just hop right in. First Samuel chapter 27. Um, David, this is after Saul's like, Hey, I've been evil. I've been, I've done you wrong. Like we're good. I'm going to stop pursuing you. David (laughs) says to himself, I'm going to die. Like David, he's going to kill me. Like I get what he says, but man's already tried to, you know, skewer me a a couple times. I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and go to the Philistines. Um, and live with them for a while in order to get him to stop looking for me, period. I can actually settle down, stop being on the run, whatever. So he does. And the king there, of course, David, I think is a bit of a smooth talker. Um, we've already learned that he's a bit of a liar. And so this king, let's just gives David a town because of course he's got a lot of men with him and I'm assuming at this point they're gonna they're bringing their families um they kind of settle down in this um town and it's a town that had that well has that belongs to Judah I guess at this point at the time that it was written um belongs to Judah anyway so David lives there year and four months his men like to go out and raid um that's just what they do when you know i guess they get bored i don't know um so they go and they raid all these pagans around them their enemies visual now when he comes back the with of course his spoils and and otherwise the king's like hey what (laughs) where'd you go where'd you raid and he tells him against the negev now that is actually the southern part of judah And so he's telling him, I'm going and I'm fighting the Israelites when he's really not. And it says that when he goes and he does these raids and these attacks, he annihilates every human, every, let me be clear, every single human being that is there when he does these raids, he annihilates all of them so that they cannot turn around and talk about it so that's a little messed up but anyway so chapter 28 um of course the philistines in israel still fighting i think i'm sure they're probably still fighting today to be honest i really think so um i would have to do some research on that but anyway um So, the king of the Philistines goes to David and is like, you need to understand, 
you and your men will go out with me to battle. Like we're going to go fight against Israel and you're going to, you're going to go with me. And he's like, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. Um, and he of course agrees because what is, what else is he going to do? He's now told them that he's been fighting Israelites this whole time. He can't say no. So anyway, Saul, um, becomes afraid knowing the Philistine army is coming. So he inquires the Lord and the Lord doesn't answer him by dreams or by Urim, which is like, it says it's used like lots by the priest to determine the will of God. I could, yeah, I feel like that would be wonderful if I could just go to somebody and they'd be like, yeah, God said this. Um, so anyway, a little jealousy there, I'm sure. So basically he then goes, go find a medium a seer, a soothsayer. Now, this is something that God says don't do. And these are people that he himself has driven out. Saul himself has driven out of the the land. Um, so he finds a woman and she's like, well, why would you come to me? Um, you know, you're going to cause me to die because it's illegal. Um, here's where I get real confused. And this is probably going to get way too deep, like way too muddled, way too fast. But God says no mediums, right? No mediums, period. Everything that I've learned personally, and again, I could be wrong because this is just information I've been given, is just that any medium or, you know, person who claims to communicate with those who have died is false and communicating with demons. I could be totally wrong. I don't know because it gets right here. It says she asked whom she shall bring up. And he says, bring up Samuel. So not only is he wanting to communicate, he is wanting to communicate with a priest. And what is said is when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed and said, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So I don't know if she's, I mean, this leads me to believe that she's just, she screamed because she realizes that the king is right there and the king is the one who ordered all of them to be driven out and therefore the one who could take her head. Or did she scream because she sees Samuel? And was surprised to actually see, I don't know. So anyway, he tells her, oh, don't worry, don't be afraid. Um... And he, she says, an old man is coming up wrapped in a robe. And then he knew it was Samuel. He bowed and paid respect. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered him, greatly distressed for the Philistines are making war against me. God has left me and no longer answers me either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I've called you to make known to me what I should do. Why do you ask me since the Lord has left you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you, just as he said through me when I was with you. For the Lord has torn your kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Um, So he then tells him, like, if you go to a war with the Philistines, you're going to lose. Period. 
so then the woman sees how this this medium sees how distressed Saul is and is like let me let me cook for you like you need to eat get some rest so he does she brings him food all that fun stuff this whole package passage to me is just so incredibly strange um and it's, it's just one chapter of this that just really is odd like is this literal or is this like figurative i i have no idea um so there's that confusion good morning I just wrote down inside of my Bible, what? Um, Because that's going to need some help. Now, they go to war. And on the enemy side, the Philistine side, the Philistines, um, the commanders in the Philistine army are like, what is David doing here? And he's like, well, you know, King's like, hey, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. He's been warring against the Israelites all this time. Like, he's so good. And they're like, no. How could David reconcile himself with Saul? Would it not be with the heads of these Philistine men? Is it not David of whom they used to sing and dance about David killing ten thousands? Tell him to go home. He is not fighting with us, essentially. So um, the king does. He tells him, you're not going into battle. And David's men go um go back but the philistines still fight with israel so then we get into where amalekites raid the negev which is of course israel again in chapter 30 and they burn it with fire they had taken captive the women and all who were there both small and great and killed no one but carried them off to be used as slaves so apparently this is the town in which david lives um and they get there and it's burned And when they come back from this war. Um, I assume. Anyway, they see that all their wives, daughters, children, and otherwise have been taken captive. To say that they are unhappy, I think, would be an understatement. At this point, David has two wives. Both of them were taken captive. And then um, the men in the army are so upset about this. They talk about Stone and David. I'm not sure what that gets them because if he's dead, you know, I don't know. Seems kind of useless, but anyway. So David inquired of the Lord and he's like, you know, what do I do? Do I go after him? And he's like, yep, definitely go get him. And so David and 600 men go um, but two of 200 men get all the way to the brook and they're so exhausted. Cause you've got to keep in mind, they've been marching, they've been preparing for battle. They've been doing all these things and they get home and they see this and they're like, Oh crap, we got to immediately go and deal with this. So these men are tired. Um, so 200 of them are too ex- exhausted to cross. So he goes in, um, with 600 Um, originally and actually goes to fight with four. So they find an Egyptian on their way who had collapsed. Um, and here's the interesting part. This is the innocent until proven guilty. Okay. They find this guy 
automatically offer him food and drink. No questions asked. We don't even care who you are. We're going to fix you up, right? So it says first that they give him bread. They give him water. They give him fig cake, uh, raisins. And when he had eaten and his energy returned, um, David then asks him, who are you? Right? He doesn't... We're not questioning you right now. You are on the verge of death. We're going to get you well. Then we'll talk about it. Like that, I wish it, that is something we so early are needing in this, this world. That mentality of, I don't care who you are. I'm going to help you. We'll figure the rest out later. Right. Um, prejudice, right? Prejudice. Anyway, um, the guy then tells him, um, I got sick and my master abandoned me as useless three days ago, but we had made a raid on Negev, uh, on the Negev that belongs to Judah and of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag, which is where David lives with fire. And David's like, will you show me where the band of people are? Um, and he's like, yeah, if you don't hand me over to the master or kill me, David's like, okay. So the guy shows him where these men are camping. David and his other, you know, his 400 men go in and rescue everyone and everything. They return home with everything that was rightfully theirs. Um, On their way back, there is, it says, (laughs) then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, because they did not go with us, talking about the other 200 men who were too exhausted to cross um, the brook. Because they did not go with us, we will then give them none of the spoil we've recovered except that which each man may take his wife and his children away and leave. Now, you keep in mind, their whole city has been destroyed. Like, they now have nothing but what they are bringing back, I assume. So, yeah. So, David's answer is... For as the share of him who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the provision and supplies. They shall share alike. So from that point forward, he always divided his any spoils um, with everyone. Um, now the Philistines fought against Israel. This is chapter 31. This is going to close out the book of Samuel. Um and it ends really kind of, I mean, it's weird. It's like a, it's very sad, honestly. So the Philistines, um, I'm assuming is the same battle that we left on where David, um, and I I don't know for sure. This is just my assumption just in reading this back to back is that the battle between the Philistines and Israel that David was sent away from is the same battle that Saul and Jonathan, in Abinadab, um, in Malkshua, which are basically Saul and his three sons die. Right. So he gets Saul. The story goes, the Philistines kill the boys, his sons. And then the battle's heavy against Saul and they shoot him with arrows and then Saul dies. Um, but the way Saul dies is 
apparently something to be argued over, which is very interesting. So he, Saul gets hit by arrows and he's like, listen, I'm not doing good. I'm definitely going to die, but they're going to take credit for killing me. So draw your sword and kill me. Otherwise the Philistines will abuse me and mock me. Um, so his armor bearer would not because he was terrified. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. His armor bearer Saul, Saul was dead and also fell on his own sword and died. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer all died together that day. Um, when the Philistines came, they plundered, of course, and cut off Saul's head, stripped off his weapons and armor, and sent it throughout the land of Philistines. Um, they put Saul's weapons and armor in the temper, temple of the Asheroth, which I found to be rather interesting because we know Asherah, which is this particular goddess that the Asheroth temple is for, somehow gets intermingled with, with God. And that's kind of messed up. So, anyway, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Now, remember, Jabesh um, Gilead, before Saul became king, they needed help. Or maybe it was maybe it was shortly after. Maybe I'm, I'm getting my timings off. Maybe it was shortly after Saul became king. They needed help. And Saul came to their aid. Right? So Saul aided these people once upon a time. These people then hear what had happened and what these Philistines have done to Saul because not only did they take their his clothes and armor and all that stuff, they hung Saul's body on a wall and his sons um, on display. So these Jabesh Gilead um, men, brave men, worked all night uh, walked all night, took the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and cremated them, took their bones and buried them under the Tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fastened a sign of mourning and respect, fasted as a sign of mourning and respect for seven days. So this is their way of like honoring what Saul had done for them, right? So it was a very, very sweet act of kindness that they did. Um, for him and his sons at that point. That gets us into 1 Samuel. So we have now traversed through the life of Saul. And it's really hard to find any redeeming quality in him at his death, right? The insanity that literally kind of ensued throughout his life of starting out as a very humble man. And that to me just goes to show you that even, oh, Saul was anointed by God, right? Begrudgingly, make no mistake, like he, he wasn't God's pick. He was, he was the men, it was I mean, God picked him, yes, but it was a demand from the people that Saul be chosen. And Saul still was a good man, right? Saul was a very good man at the very beginning. It wasn't until he started to do his own thing and not listen to God that God's anointing, um, and I don't guess God's anointing ever truly left him. Maybe it did. I don't know. But God left him. At some point, God left Saul. And 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is wrong. Maybe it's the fact that God never left Saul because there are times that he prophesied later on. There are times he seeks God. Um, I don't think God necessarily ever leaves any one of us, but I think that he had removed at the end his anointing of Saul as king. Not necessarily his anointing of Saul as a human that, you know, Saul deserved to die. I'm not stating that. I'm saying that at some point God said, okay, jig is up. Plans change. I had planned for you to be king your whole life, but you messed that up. So now I plan to find a new king um, who is much more humble than you are. And so I think that on the same token, and I could, this is me just spouting and I could be totally wrong, 100%. Please get in the word, read it yourself and wrestle it out. But I think there's something to be said about that exchange between Saul and David. The fact that Saul was like a father to David in the beginning. And by the end of it, David had to live through this betrayal and a bitter one at that, right? A very bitter betrayal. And he had to be constantly on the run for his life and constantly choose not to raise his hand in violence against Saul, not to avenge himself, trusting that God was going to do it the whole time. I think that that was a kind of building moment for David and David's faith. I like to think so. I feel like it probably would be for me, or at least hope it would be (laughs) if, if I had to run from serious persecution from someone who wanted me dead. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think that it's a messed up way that it all went down very messed up way, but there was still God in it every step of the way, because there's nothing that I don't think there's anything that God can do with us humans and it not be messy. And it's not God's fault. We're the mess, right? We're the ones who who mess these things up, not God. And God just makes the most beautiful things he can out of the mess we hand him. And I think that that, I don't know. There's gotta be something hopeful about that, right? There's gotta be something enduring and endearing And I don't know. I don't know. I think that I can't help but read about Saul and David and have hope that I'm not too broken, right? Have hope that if God could use these men who were human, very, very human, then he could use me too. And he can use all of us if we are willing, right? I mean, that's, that's the common thing that both Saul and David had. They both would inquire of the Lord. They would both go to God before making massive decisions, like taking lives. Like, do I pursue them? That's, do I go follow these people and kill them? That's what that question is. Not, do I go just have a chat? No, this is, this is serious business. And so I think we could all learn from that, to be honest. <laughs> I know I can. I know I can. And 
this world is messed up enough. We really got to stop making snap decisions without consulting God because that's what's gotten us into this mess. Um, but that's my two cents on it. So Lord, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the struggle it gives me, the questions I have because of it, the ones that I will undoubtedly spend my entire life um, trying to fight out and figure out. I thank you for the modern technology and all the resources we have that we can, that we can wrestle with things and also refer to others who have also wrestled with things and like get get different viewpoints, right? Because again, we we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different points of views and upbringings and cultures and all of these things. And all of that factors in to the little sliver, teeny tiny view we have of our world. We see but a tiny pinpoint and you see all. So I just pray that you guide us in that, that you help us in um, being generous and being kind and being faithful. I think that's something that we struggle with, especially in American culture, the whole being faithful um, and not just in marriage, but in so many things. And I just pray that you be with us in that. Help us, help us to be better. Please be with those who have the ability to make law like any anyone in politics in any country um i feel like right now there's there's so much wickedness and it's when it's at the very top it makes it very difficult for good to happen right it's like pharaoh and a hardened heart and i feel like right now we've got a lot of hardened hearts in the top of politics and power in the entire world um and it makes it difficult to see real godly change so i just pray that you please soften hearts allow them to hear your word and to seek you and to repent and turn and make better decisions ones that are not made until after they inquire of you um i thank you though i thank you for this day I thank you for the time you've given me to watch the sunrise. I have, <laughs> I've been missing it. Um, so I thank you for that. It is, um, it's nice to see the light just come over the trees. And I look forward to a day when maybe I get to see more of that at sunrise. Um, but anyway, thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you've given us. I love you so much. And I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So, like 